The old blues men of Tin Pan Alley had a famous question. Is it true what they say about Dixie? In some contemporary quarters, the follow-up question might be, why does it matter? By now, we all know the soundbite. Mass media, mass culture, the internet, instant messaging, and all the rest rocket information from one end of the world to the other, flattening local distinctions and particular places at every turn. The rap that rocks L.A. this morning will be just as popular in Atlanta, Cape Town, and Tokyo by nightfall. People move around almost as fast, from immigrants changing continents, to refugees fleeing warfare, to evacuees trying to escape the effects of the weather. Think about what the Atlanta suburbanite said to his new neighbors. You'll love this development. There isn't a southerner for miles. The same global forces that send executives from no place in particular to everywhere at once depress local economies in some places and inflate new boom towns somewhere else. Money flies even faster than goods, with capital skipping from stock exchange to stock exchange at click of a mouse speed. The process has thrust up financial giants in Charlotte, of all places, while wreaking havoc in once sturdy communities like Kannapolis, just up the road. In a famous essay of 1958, historian C. Van Woodward described a bulldozer revolution that was wrecking old landmarks, building new ones, and transforming the South of his day. For nearly five decades, globalization has outstripped mere machinery as an agent of destruction and construction. In the midst of all this ultra-bulldozing, what's left of the South? Back in 1992, a few of us at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill defied the general trend away from locality and stirred up a journal about the South. You can be pretty sure that the late Governor George Wallace would have called most of us pointy-headed intellectuals who couldn't even park our bicycles straight, but we still cared about the South and wanted to talk about it. We wanted some space where academics and general readers could swap stories about culture and place and where scholars of different specialties could learn from each other and from people who wouldn't ordinarily pick up an academic journal. We were very aware that past South watchers have sometimes erred in assuming that there has been only one real South, the South of white people, especially upper-crust white people, like plantation bells and bow. Ulrich B. Phillips made that mistake when he declared that the cardinal test of a Southerner and the central theme of Southern history was a common resolve indomitably maintained that it shall be and remain a white man's country. Instead, we thought of the South as a plural place with endless diversity and no single defining set of traits and customs. Hoping to reach even wider than a biracial South, we chose a deliberately plural name, Southern Cultures. Our inaugural issue invited readers to enter into an ongoing conversation, and somehow we're still at it. Our founding editor and tutelary genius, John Shelton Reed, has moved on to other projects, but others have taken up the thread. Time has passed, but the conversation has kept us interested.